What it means to me first is a realization that the future of energy is not what it has been. You know, innovation has gotten us into an amazing, fantastic point within oil and gas. You know, we have become a net exporter of energy. We've shifted the balance of our national security. Those things are incredibly important. And we've done it in an environmentally safe way. And as, you know, the, the global community really focuses on the issue of climate change and, and how we need to be looking at decarbonization holistically for our future on this planet, oil and gas has a role to play there. The Energy and Transition podcast is the first of its kind, exploring the critical role of oil and gas in energy transition. Energy transition is not transition away from hydrocarbons. It's a collaborative effort towards a lower carbon future. And these are the stories of the companies and people that are actively reducing emissions and actually getting us there. Leaders from all sectors will discuss industry trends and topics like emerging technologies, global energy demand, access to capital markets, ESG, and workforce innovation. This podcast is sponsored by PISA, the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association, Lockton Companies, and Galtway Marketing. Welcome to the Energy and Transition podcast in the Fletcher Azul Tequila Studio in Houston. I'm your host, Leslie Beyer. This is our first episode of this podcast channel on energy and transition. I'm here with my colleagues, Josh Lowry and David DeRode. So this is your studio now. What do you think about this? I uh, love it. Yeah, you are. So you're going to be able to live stream uh, okay. if you want to. Okay. You're going to be able to film it all and use it. Um, does being on video intimidate you at all? And no. This yeah. is so much better than my 11-year-old filming me from my iPhone in my home office. I mean, I can't believe it. It's super professional. I'm so excited. Well, we're excited too. And, you know, we just interviewed you on our podcast for to and really introduce you for your own show. But um, this is, this is going to be a big deal. I know we've kind of talked about it both on and off air. Are you uh, excited? Are you nervous? I mean, what do you? What kind of responsibility do you feel for your your own show now? I feel so jazzed about this. I do not feel nervousness. I feel excitement because I think this topic, energy and transition, is so critical right now. Everyone in the industry is talking about it, and what I hope for this podcast really is to kind of show what the industry can do and what our role is in energy and transition and how it does not mean transition away from oil and gas at all. It means, you know, oil and gas t stepping into our role in energy transition and the future of the industry. Uh, what the audience is about to listen to is our interview of you uh, talking about what this new podcast is going to be. So without further ado, we hope the audience enjoys the very, uh, I guess the first, uh, interview of energy and transition with Leslie Byer of Leslie Byer. So there's a whole lot of Leslie coming for the next 45 I minutes. It feels like a lot. Yeah. It's gonna be great. But that's, I mean, yeah. what could be better? Nothing. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> oh man, y'all are drinking the same Kool-Aid. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you guys both a question. I'd like, Leslie, I'd like you to start with this. What does energy and transition mean to you? And then David, I'm going to ask you the same question. What does that mean 
when somebody says energy and transition podcast, what exactly are you trying to accomplish? What it means to me first is a realization that the future of energy is not what it has been. You know, innovation has gotten us into an amazing, fantastic point within oil and gas. Um, You know, we have become a net exporter of energy. We've shifted the balance of our national security. Those things are incredibly important. And we've done it in an environmentally safe way. And as, you know, the, the global community really focuses on the issue of climate change and and how we need to be looking at decarbonization holistically for our future on this planet, oil and gas has a role to play there. You know, decarbonization is not just about transferring everything to renewables 100%. The, the technology isn't fully there yet. The scale isn't there yet. The infrastructure isn't there yet. And the people who can get us there, who are driving the efficiencies and all these emerging technologies and innovation are within the oil and gas industry. Right. We're the ones that can innovate into this new future. And the just the social discourse is very much anti-fossil fuel, but it shouldn't be. We should take our role. We should step into that. We should embrace it. We should see how we can diversify our businesses there and do the right thing. You know, really approach all of our ESG goals, environmentally safe, protecting our people good governance, more diversity, you know, attracting the kind of workforce, especially the younger workforce Mm -hmm. and more diverse workforce that we're going to need. We all want a better planet. We all want to take advantage of that. Decarbonization is good. And we've approached that in the industry extraordinarily well. And we've got to be a player. We've approached it well, but we haven't exactly communicated it well. And, you know, if you one of the last points you just made there, I think David's done a really good job on the Oilfield 360 podcast of, you know, saying, hey, Oilfield is full of as many hunters and fishermen and fisher people out there as possible (laughs) that, you know, care about the environment. Uh, So, David, same question to you then is, and one of the comments that Leslie made was you are, uh, you've been a big advocate for this. You have the Energy ESG Council, not committee. I've made this mistake before. The ESG Council. So what does that in tandem with um, energy and transition, both as a phrase, as a movement, but then as, as a podcast, what does that mean to you? Well, to, to me, I think energy and transition can, can mean a number of different things. I think a lot of people mistakenly feel like we're getting away from oil and gas completely when we talk about energy uh, transition or energy and transition. Uh, I think the words energy and transition mean that, you know, the energy business is kinetic. I think the energy business has been in transition since we moved beyond, uh, you know, the caveman and and, uh, the first spark of fire. Mm -hmm. So the most interesting thing about the energy industry as a whole, when you look at all these alternative energy ideas and realities, uh, they've all come out of the oil and gas business. And, uh, they will continue to do so. And I think one of the things that Leslie has said historically is that there's no better industry than the oil, oil and gas industry, particularly the oil fields services sector, to to drive that, that transition that needs to occur. There's no doubt that we can do a better job in being stewards of the environment, being uh, responsible socially, and to continuously try to improve 
what it is that we do and our businesses. And I think that ties into this overall concept of ESG, which in my mind is really enterprise risk management. And we've got to deal with, with the risks and it's, it's, it's complicated, but it's not, it's not something that we can't address. And so energy and transition to me means addressing the growing energy demand, although we've got a little bit of a blip right now with um, COVID putting a damper on, on typical demand. Most people agree that energy demand is growing up globally and will continue to go up. We need not only oil and gas, but alternative sources. We, we definitely have a finite resource in oil and gas. The renewable sector has its limitations. And uh, nuclear has also got its, got its issues as well. So the, the, the energy source that we're all looking for is, is not here, but it's certainly on its way. And I think with, you know, improved communication, sharing ideas, and uh, making sure that we're strengthening our education system, particularly in the area of STEM, we'll get there. And uh, so for me, I'm really excited to see Leslie uh, host this podcast. I don't think we could have found a better host. And um, I think she will not only cover the emerging technologies that are going to help us in this transition, but uh, also deal with complicated energy policies, as well as some of the uh, topics of discussion that can be somewhat controversial but need to be discussed. And, and, and I think if they are discussed fairly and objectively, people realize they're really not that controversial and it's kind of common sense. So You know, that's a thread from you through, for the last year and a half, right? I mean, that's, I think if people were to listen to the last 20-something episodes, they would hear you say, pieces of that on maybe every episode, actually. So it's interesting to hear that the energy and transition is just kind of something you, you're already weaving into your daily lexicon, really. Just maybe not said as energy in transition. Yeah. So you mentioned, David, uh, there's a lot to unpack, but one of the things you mentioned was the STEM education. And, you know, I want to ask Leslie that, that aspect of it. I mean, is education going to be part of the podcast? I mean, what are you going to be doing with that? I think education will be part of it in the broader context of the reputation of our industry, right? So right now we have a really hard time attracting the kind of talent that we're going to need. Like I, I said a second ago, um, STEM education absolutely plays into that. But there's a lot of kids, you know, there's, you know, girls who code. And what's exciting to them right now is maybe, you know, designing a new iPhone, right? Well, the education piece is talking about solving the global energy challenge. And the global energy challenge isn't going to be solved with one source. That's the whole point of, I think, energy transition is that we need everything because of our growing population, because of how our world is changing. We have to have renewables. We have to have oil and gas. You know, we have to have nuclear. You look at all these great things that you see happening in, in hydrogen so I think as, par as far as education goes, it really is more of an exposure to the geosciences in general, understanding, you know, global energy demand and what that's going to require. And that's, that's where we need to be investing in young kids because I see it too. I mean, I've got three kids that started school this week. We talked about that. And I know what the public school curriculum looks like. And it's very anti-fossil fuel, which is 
short-sighted. We need everything and we need to figure out how to use everything the best we can. We're only going to produce the cheapest, most efficient barrels to fuel our society. Well, one of the things you just mentioned is you know, part of the education. And to me, that goes back to one another comment that David's had in the past is just the government of that we, that we all operate in, whether it be local, state, or federal, right? So one of your expertise, and if you want more detail on this, you could go back and listen to the, uh, one of the earlier podcasts that you were on, but can you give uh, an updated um, experience on your policy expertise and how you think that's going to be helpful to the Energy and Transition podcast? Sure. Um, and, and by the way, and, and on yeah. that note, what does that mean to Energy and Transition? Because it, it can't just be one set of people, correct? I mean, it has to be a complete uh, government, private, public involved. That's right. Um, energy policy doesn't just touch one group of people. It doesn't just touch, you know, the head of government affairs at XYZ company. Energy policy touches how our leaders are able to make decisions long term for the health of the business. Um, I spent 15 years in Washington and the White House and Capitol Hill, um, some of that time in legislative policy and, you know, have been involved in manufacturing and energy policy for a long time. And that's one of the main things that we do at PISA is we interact with members of Congress, members of the administration, whatever that administration looks like, to try and help them understand what we do, you know, what our companies do, how important oil and gas is, because it's such a politically charged conversation. And, um, you know, we try to advocate for policies that are going to help us be successful. Successful, I mean, obviously, we need to, to make a profit. You know, we have to keep our companies in business. That, at the end of the day, does have to happen. But also successful is, you know, delivering the energy content, or delivering energy to the American people, and shaping our, our national security. I mentioned that when we sat down. What we've been able to do in this country and the innovation, especially from oil field services companies that has been able to just unlock all of that energy in the U.S. has completely changed the fact that we don't have to rely on other countries that we don't have great relationships with for our energy. It's a, it's a critical piece. And so the energy policy conversation is really all about making sure that there is an appropriate regulatory regime in the U.S., that it enables us to produce the energy we need to produce. And then also that we have policies in place that are going to promote, you know, efficient energies that's sustainable and low cost um, from our companies here. What kind of reception do you think you're going to get from the energy business, oil and gas business in particular, with the energy and transition um, Again, I keep wanting to call it a movement because it's larger than a podcast. It, it is larger than a this podcast. Is its mouthpiece. I feel, you know, the the reception is often quite cold. You know, there I have colleagues that I talk to every day that are like, "Listen, we don't talk about energy transition." You know, the, the, we don't we don't talk we about don't it. Or we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to use that phrase. I have heard hmm. even recently, and that I think is approaching it wrong. You don't build a wall, we're not, for lack of a better analogy, we cannot build a wall around ourselves and just look at ourselves and think that it's all going to work out in oil and gas. We have to appreciate what this is. And, you know, what it is, is the fact that the world is changing, how we generate energy is changing, and how we can be a part of it. You know, at the risk of 
you know, outing certain things. I mean, what does it mean to, if you don't like the term energy and transition, because I actually think that's a great term and a great phrase for what it is happening. I mean, wh wh why a pushback on that at all? Because people think that that means a transition away from oil and gas, when in fact it does not. It, you know, to some people it may. I, it depends on who's saying the word. There are a whole lot of people that want to say energy transition, and in their mind, that means we are transitioning away from fossil fuels. But it's going to be on us, no one else, to change what that means. It's not a transition away from fossil fuels. It's a transition to approaching every available source that we have to generate clean energy. You know, I, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's maybe what I was even well, thinking in my head. That's why we went with the name Energy in Transition, energyintransition.com, and we also bought the .org domain. I think if you if you think about the words, and some people can take them however they want to, to your point, Leslie, I think energy is in transition. It has always been in transition and will continue to be in transition until we find that perfect energy source. And I don't know that we'll ever find that. I don't that. think we will. And in the meantime, we got to figure out what's best. But yeah. we, we can't just stick our heads in the sand like our industry has done in the past. You know, you don't just avoid yeah. the conversation. We have to walk in with some swagger, own the fact that we are innovators. If there's going to be solutions providers, it's going to be us. And here's what we're doing. And that's what I want to jam on in the podcast. I, I agree with that. And also, you know, to your point, be a little bit bullish and say, look, look at how low cost energy prices are today. That is, that is the result of blood, sweat and tears, innovation and continuous improvement, trying to improve things. Now, is that sustainable for our business? Not necessarily. And low energy prices, quite frankly, uh, has its positives and its negatives. But the one thing that is true, this environment is going to drive and continue to drive innovation, either out of economic necessity or social requirement. I think most of what we've seen has been out of economic necessity and, and always trying to continuously improve which ties into the concept of resiliency and sustainability. But I also think that there is a large opportunity to provide better data and educate the masses that are driving this, this binary discussion of good or bad, yeah. on or off, right. it oil is and gas or, or nothing. 100% not binary. The Petroleum Equipment and Services Association is the global trade association for the oilfield services sector and a proud sponsor of the Energy and Transition podcast. We support OFS in international trade, supply chain, health and safety, environmental policy, and a number of other areas. Our Energy Transition Committee is focused on sharing best practices in sustainability, collaboration with renewables technologies, and driving a smart energy transition. Please join us at PISA.org. You know, yeah. one of the things that I'm realizing, David, as you're talking, I, who was our guest that said that energy and transition last time took 100 years? Was that Clay Williams that said that, how he said it took 100 years to transition from, you know, wood burning into oil and gas? And I, I think that's who that was. And then, you, and then you think about what uh, Chuck Yates, we haven't released his yet, but his will be coming out too. And one of the things he said, is it a red problem or a green problem, right? And the part of the... The real issue right now is it's a red problem. These companies aren't making any money, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of attention on how bad it is. But at the same time, there's a green problem. So as I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about the previous guests we've had on, 
this really is just a natural extension of an oil and gas podcast. I mean, this is energy and trans transition. I, I love it. I'm just, I do think that there is this, maybe for guys like me, the explanation needs to be, hey, look, this is, we're not putting somebody out of business. We're not. And it's this exact same concept when you talk about, honestly, diversity and inclusion. No one is trying to exclude anyone. We're all part of the process. Everyone that is smart enough and willing to get up into this is part of how we're going to make it better. It's the exact same thing. And a lot of this is just about leaders in oil and gas that have been around for a long time and seen a lot of just cyclical change and downturns, changing just that culture shift. We realize we got to be a little more fluid here. Well, and you know, I think I, that's another term that gets, I think, used I don't, inappropriate. It's not that we're just, there's a misunderstanding of diversity and inclusion and what that actually means. And maybe you can comment on what the, the two words independently mean and then uh, together mean, because it, do you want to comment on that real sure. quick? Yeah, because I do have a comment after that I'd like to make, but go ahead. Diversity is, you know, diversity of thought that's going to drive better business. Four people from four different backgrounds are going to approach a problem in a different way. And ultimately, you are going to get better results if you have different approaches. It's statistically, it's like proven. Now, inclusion is having a culture where people feel free to whoever they are. They can come in and they can give that perspective. You have to feel like the company that you're working for, A, cares about you and you care about their mission. And if you do, you can contribute all of these unique things because we all have such different backgrounds. I mean, I grew up on a farm. You know, you you can't put how I'm going to approach a problem with a government affairs background next to how an engineer is going to approach a problem next to a finance person. You just need different education. You need you know, people from different areas. You need different gender. You need all of it. And that's how we're going to solve these problems. And in oil and gas for a long time, um, you know, a lot of people that look the same that have similar backgrounds have been driving the train. And a lot of people that look the same that have similar backgrounds are on public boards. Um, as a woman, you know, I'm, I'm on my first public board, which is great. Um, and you see a lot, you're trying to see a lot more diversity there, but that, that's how we're going to get this next level of innovation. But not diversity for the sake of just diversity, but, but with merit, I agree. I think the biggest issue facing going back to the concept of risk and enterprise risk management with what I think a lot of these companies don't appreciate and understand is when you don't have that diversity of thought, you're at risk of thinking one way and missing an opportunity to think another way that actually might get you around that hurdle or help you develop the next new product. Uh, David, I mean, and then the inclusiveness piece is oftentimes some of the best best solutions to these problems are from people inside of the company that the guys and gals at the top or at the board don't want to pay any atten attention to them. They have not created this channel for communication and, and the best ne next secret hell, the next greatest energy cold source, fusion, cold fusion <laughs> may, may be existent in that person. Well, and, and so that's why you need those people that care about the mission of the company. Right. right? Well, and that's, that's, it's bigger than just a mission of the company. And, and David, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that espresso kicked in. Sorry, dude. I'm in it now. I'm, I'm jamming away, but you know, you, it's not just the mission of a company. And that's what I think is important about this podcast is kind of independent of companies. Yeah. Right. Until until we have to declare bankruptcy, we're still in business and we can <laughs> we can keep plugging along here. And that's a freedom to be able to have that freedom. And it's 
this is before that we started taping here. You know, we talked about this being a movement and not, you know, there's not, we don't have an ulterior motive here except for actual change in the industry. So I believe, and I, I think I'm right that, and I know, well, you know, I think everybody in this room would agree. There's a lot of, I don't need, I hate to even say this, but like, you know, men that have been in the business that have been running these, the energy business for the last 20, 30 years that absolutely want to help with this mission. They absolutely do. And, they, and I think they get a bad rap on like that. Yeah. They can't be. No, men are the best allies. How the men that are in these positions to the extent that they are, which is, is proven in, in our industry, a lot of them are really working hard to help pull other people up and they cannot be made to feel like they're being excluded. It's that's a horrible, horrible way to approach the people that are going to have to be involved in making that change happen. And there are so many great male allies, you know, and that is 100% how it has to happen. And I know a lot of men that are leading that men that I respect and my mentors. And I hate it when I see men feeling this like, I'm, I'm going to be excluded from this, or this is somehow against me. It's not. We, we need the people that are there now to help create a larger and more inclusive group. See, I think that's, I think that's a big, it's, it goes back to the energy and transition. We're not leaving oil behind. Uh, you know, diversity and inclusion does not mean, you know, 45 plus white guy, you're in deep trouble. It just doesn't mean these it things. It doesn't. No, and, but I'm telling you, that's, that is the prevailing thought and, and, as, and I think it immediately puts people's defensive modes up sometimes when mm -hmm. the reality is, and, and Leslie, again, I think this is why you're going to be a perfect host for this. I think you're, I've seen you in these rooms, right? I mean, when, when we announced it and David and I put up the LinkedIn, you know, I've been in the rooms where it's full of leaders across, you know, whether it be a small business or the, the 40,000 person company, you know, this is a big task to kind of wrangle these ideas and this movement into a cohesive, we're moving this way uh, group. I mean, do you feel, do you feel the gravity of that situation? I do. And I appreciate you saying that. And I feel like, you know, my experience that I've had professionally up until this point leads me to that. I feel very comfortable with that. I love being able to, you know, be in a, in a group of a whole bunch of type A fantastic leaders and to channel, you know, a, a, a movement moving forward. We've been able to do great things on the PISA board and people are excited about it. But this is bigger than, than PISA, bigger than oil field services. This is the industry. And this is leaders in the industry that have gotten us here, that have done a fantastic job, that are going to lead the mental, cultural change of us embracing our role in this. Mm -hmm. Well, there's always room for continuous improvement. And I think, you know, you hosting this show will highlight that that fact and in the, the the people and the technologies and the and the issues that need to be addressed to to continue to drive that into uh, our wonderful Thank you, David. Movement. I care so much about it. I care about our position. I care about our reputation. I care about us really looking like a more diverse and inclusive right. Uh, industry that's open to innovation and wants to be part of these great changes. I see so many people in our industry that are doing these amazing things and hopefully we can put a, a spotlight on them. Well, the on that note, what kind of uh, guests are you going to have? I mean, we'll have everything from a uh, spoiler alert. We had a great guest yesterday that we already yeah. taped um, leaders from companies that are touching 
across industries. Um, we had Rod Larson, the president and CEO of Oceaneering, is going to be our first guest. That is one company that really shows us how it's done, you know, how to apply these technologies across industries. And then we'll have companies that have emerging technologies that we need to hear about, technologies that are touching both hydrocarbon development as well as renewables. We'll have some energy policy guests, you know, people that can come in and really get into the weeds and talk about what is this, what's going to happen in this next election? Nerds, but keep going. Yes. <laughs> the policy people are my favorite nerds. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't last 15 years in Washington without that. Um, but, you know, how, how policy is going to shape moving forward, what this industry does. I think we're going to see some leaders in diversity and listen to how certain companies are approaching this, especially with non-traditional allies, like we talked about. That's an important, important part. You know, it comes down to stories and, you know, people can, there could be stats that, you know, 15%, 20%, whatever the numbers are that people are going to hear. And those are important, but really it's, it, it's about stories and it's about us telling the real stories about the real people that are making a change and making a difference in our industry. And, you know, the story of what oil and gas does, one of the hashtags, David loves hashtags. One of the hashtags that he's big with is making modern life possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's true. I mean, there is the, the, what, what oil and gas does truly pushes every aspect of our lives. And we just need to tell more of those stories. We do. And not only does it make modern life possible, but it is going to bring a better life to people in these developing countries and mm -hmm. the non-OECD countries that do not have access to reliable energy. And, you know, looking at every available technology to bring energy to those people is on all of us. It's the great challenge and it's the most exciting challenge, much better than some of the things I see in tech. Well, the interesting dilemma is that we think that, but there are some people that are perfectly happy being, you know, often they're, place in the world with, you know, no, no exposure to us crazies, you know, in our cars and all that kind of stuff. But those people that are looking to evolve and come into, to modern life, I don't know how you get there without, without what's, what's been developed. And, and to your point, uh, we've got to do that. I mean, more broadly, you know, the energy industry as a whole is what allows proper sanitation is, is human beings in, in the modern world, clean water, the ability to get water. Clean uh, water is one of the most critical parts of this, actually, yeah. is, you know, that is what drives education for young girls in these countries where they're walking to get water every day. Clean water, sanitation, even it doesn't matter how it's delivered, but we all have to be focused on finding a way without excluding any forms of energy to give that ability to all of those people that, that need that. Everyone needs access to clean water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody, this is the thing. Everybody needs all the things that we're talking about. It's just how do you educate these people? I mean, diversity and inclusion, you need that. Clean water, you need that. All of the above versus one or the other. You need all of the above. So, yeah, no, David. Yeah, I, it's a, it's a the, uh, as I've said a number of times, we don't necessarily have an environmental problem as much as we have an education problem because the solution to our environmental problems are lying in the heads of those uh, little girls and boys that are not being exposed to appropriate education that'll get those little wheels spinning and come up with 
the solution. At the same time, you know, we've got folks that don't appreciate the various views and attributes that go into everything that we're talking about right now and having appreciation of the fact that the oil and gas industry that they think they're knowledgeable about, that they're spewing all this hate and misinformation is on a device that is largely made up of products of refined, you know, petroleum products. So So we typically have a question of uh, pearls of wisdom, but that's not this type of podcast. So what I want you to end with here is where do you see this podcast in 12 months? What do you see? What is the difference between today and 12 months from now? This is on the spot. You got Yeah. So where do you think it goes in 12 months? For me, success on this podcast is moving the needle just a little bit towards the awareness that energy decisions are not binary. It is not oil and gas or renewables. It is an approach, an innovative approach to solving the global energy problems. And the people that are uniquely suited to solve those problems, most of them are working in oil and gas, and they've just recently been laid off, a lot of them. And our industry is hurting, and we have people that are so sharp and so talented and so motivated to approach these challenges. And so we, I hope, in this podcast over the next 12 months, will tell some great stories of how that's happening, how oil and gas is embracing our role in moving forward to the future. How long do you think it'll take you to get somebody from Nebraska to subscribe? Ah, I Didn't you get one follower no, from Nebraska I mean, recently? Nebraska's moved up into our little campaign <laughs> works tremendously. They're one of our highest subscribing states now. It's pretty funny. All right. So this is ultimately, this is a new movement though. There's, there's a new website coming. Hopefully it's, it's built by the time we launch this podcast, but energyandtransition.com. Right. And uh, you'll have an email attached to that, I assume, as well. So we'll mm-hmm. get that. That'll be up on the uh, in the comments section. But, I mean, what would you like to see from the audience? I mean, what kind of involvement would you like to see? I want to hear from everyone that listens to the podcast. Are we hitting it right? Are, are we open-minded enough? Are we talking to the right people? How is this falling on your ears? Do you feel like you're so into you know, feeling like oil and gas might be seeing the end of its days that this feels scary for you. I want to hear that. I want to know so that we can drive the conversation on the podcast. And I think um, that people are going to react to this across the board. Like we said in our industry already, I interact with people that say I'm not going to say that word energy transition. And it really is about opening your mind and realizing you can make a definition however you want we can control that. And so it's going to be people making that choice in their head to own how, what our role is here. And that's what I want to hear from right. on the people. I like it. The audience. I like it. Well, David, do you have any uh, more comments? Leslie, this is going to be great. Thank gonna, you. I'm really it. excited. Yeah, you're going to kill it. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for the movement. I'm excited for the industry. I think this is the perfect timing for something like this to come. It's been a tough year. For a lot of people, it for has. everybody, for that matter. And and this is a bright spot. I mean, I always go back to Oilfield Services, but Oilfield Services has been hit so hard. But we have such an extraordinary story to tell with our opportunity as we start to see demand pick back up and the ability that we have to innovate and to touch and approach the, the future of, of the industry in general. Well, like you said, we're excited to, to be partnered with Leslie. She's Me a good too. friend. And I think she'll crush it. She'll probably, I know she'll do a better job than we ever did. <laughs> I'll try not to make you look So bad. hopefully, hopefully she'll remember us. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
Anyways, we're excited. Yeah. All right, David, thank you so much for those kind words. Thank you for listening to our first podcast. Um, I'm so excited to do this. Please subscribe. And if you have any questions or feedback for me, uh, hit me up at Leslie at energyintransition.com. Be sure to follow us on all the social platforms. Can't wait till next week. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us on another great episode of the Energy and Transition podcast. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It's the best way to support the podcast and to grow our community. Also, if you want to reach out to us, please go to our website at energyandtransition.com and we'll catch you in the next episode.